You know, as we sang that song and Natalie closed there in prayer, or brought us into this moment in prayer, um, I think the question becomes, are you overwhelmed by God this morning? You know, and sitting here right now, how would you answer that question? Are you overwhelmed by God? Are there things that's happening within your life where God continues to demonstrate Himself? Where you kind of just step back and you're like, wow, man, God is so awesome. God is so, God is so just magnificent. I don't deserve any, anything that God does in my life, but yet He, He, he answers prayers and He, he does these things and, and you just become overwhelmed. Has there ever been a moment where you've been overwhelmed with God? If you're not overwhelmed this morning, has there ever been a moment where you just kind of step back and you just, you look at it and you're like, man, I am so overwhelmed. I think, you know, as we look into the book of Hebrews, this is kind of, kind of where we're at. At one point, these people were overwhelmed by God, but then something happened. They became distracted and they kind of, it kind of ceased and they kind of started to look back. They started to look back to the old ways. They started to look back at the old, Kind of the old teachings or whatever, and I think that's when you start losing this 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 sense of being overwhelmed by God. You know, we become distracted. When we look into the Old Testament, and you start clear in Genesis, you see that everything that you or you read, everything that you read in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Every single thing that you read in the in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Now granted, his name may not be listed there, but he everything points to Jesus. And it communicates God's plan to or in that in that reading throughout the Old Testament, you, you begin to see God's plan to reconcile his creation back to himself. You see, God created everything, you know, and it's like every funeral I do, it's like I stand there and it's like a lot of times, a lot of times in some of the funerals that I do. The, kind of the pervading message in my mind or the thought in my mind is this. This shouldn't be this way. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. This shouldn't be this way. You, sh- you know, there's certain things that happen within our lives where you look at it and you say, this shouldn't happen. This isn't the way things are supposed to be. We talked about that. And, and, and you look back in the Old Testament and that's exactly right. God created things. He said everything was good. And so He created everything, but then sin enters into the world and literally disrupts everything, Right? And essentially then, it became that there's no hope for humanity now. None. Absolutely none. The, the, it's been done. Sin has entered into the world. Everybody, everything is broken now. Everything from that point on is going to be broken. You and I born into this world. Every person born after Adam enters in with a state in a sin condition. Completely apart from God, with God's wrath resting upon that person. If that person lives their life and stays in that condition, they're going to spend eternity separated from Christ. Period. And there's absolutely nothing that we can do about it. Nothing. There's nothing that you can do about it. There's nothing that I can do about it. So in, in, in the Old Testament, you begin to see this picture that, you know, they, they were given the law. They were given all these other things. And, and essentially everything was to point to Jesus to say, there's nothing that you can do. Nothing. You can keep the law all you want to. You can follow it to the T and you're still not going to be good enough to enter into the kingdom of heaven. God's wrath rests upon humanity. And it points to Jesus to say, but I've got good news. Through my son, Jesus Christ, you can have redemption. You can have reconciliation to me. 
Now you don't have to spend your eternity in a Christless place. You can be in my family. The heart of the the word the gospel means good news. It doesn't get any better than that. It's it's God saying, I'm going to take care of something that you absolutely cannot take care of. I will do it for you. That's why every many times you'll hear me say, show me another religion. Show me another religion that where the God that they worship comes to them and becomes the sacrifice for them. There's no other religion. Every other religion you work to get to heaven in Christianity. That's that's obliterated. It's through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ. The whole Old Testament, the whole Bible communicates that story. Both Testaments. That's good news. That's news that literally should overwhelm us. That says, hey, there's nothing that I can do that, that can earn my salvation. That it's through God and through the love of God. And, and again, throughout these both Testament, Testaments, Old and New, it articulates concisely what God's kingdom looks like and the people that's going to inhabit His kingdom is going to look like the church, right? Both Testaments articulates how, how it will be accomplished through Jesus Christ. And also through this, rec- process, this reconciliation process, we begin to see that His people, His church, His bride, His children is going to play a part in that. You and I that have been saved, you and I that have, that have accepted the free gift of grace and salvation now are part of this bigger mission. It's not just about being saved. It's about, it's about now helping further the king, God's kingdom here on earth. That's how God's choosing to do this. God's choosing to use men and women to accomplish something that's, that's, that's way beyond, you know, we play a part in that. His church, His bride. It's extremely powerful. And what's more disheartening though, if I could say this, is when we look to Hebrews, you see a group of individuals that God was forming a nation out of, and you see them kind of rejecting it and going a different way. And that's what we see in our reading today. If you would turn to Hebrews chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 7 through 19. And I want you to just kind of lean into this and listen. Grab a Bible out of the back of the pew uh, in front of you if you didn't bring yours. Turn in yours with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 3. And I want you to pick up on this theme because God... Uh, The Holy Spirit is speaking through a person to pen these words. And right from the very uh, beginning, uh, it says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, they're going to go and they're going to quote Psalm 95, essentially. And it says this, today, if you hear his voice, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked to anger with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts and they not and, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. And, it, and then the author says this, brothers and sisters, watch out. Be very careful. What, what about that you won't be, that, that there won't be in any of you evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily, verse 13, but encourage each other daily while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. 
For we have come, we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. As it is said, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Verse 16, For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses? With whom was God angry for, angry for 40 years? Wasn't it with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did He swear that they would not enter His rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that we're unable to enter because of unbelief. God had a group of people. If you go back and read, read that story, God had a group of people, that he, that, a nation that He was forming. This, this nation was going to represent Him. This nation was going to be like a microcosm. His people was going to be like a microcosm of, of who He was. Other people would look at them. They would see God kind of through them, right? And so He was forming this nation. They were in Egypt. They were under slavery. If you remember the story, they were in Egypt. They were under slavery. They cried out for X amount of years to be delivered. God raises up a person by the name of Moses, a leader, to lead them out of slavery. They go through some, some uh, things that we'll speak, uh, talk about here in a few moments, but they enter into this place, this space, where they begin to rebel and kind of depart from, kind of rep- depart from who God was. Now, and, and that's who he's referring to. He's referring to these individuals that he's leading out. And he's saying, the author is saying this, if, and this is very key for you and I right now, if you hear God's voice, listen, to what he's talking to you about. Listen to what he's communicating. Listen to him. You remember a couple of weeks ago, I said uh, we talked about the heavenly calling, a calling that comes um, it comes from God but draws us to God. It's the same thing. Listen. If God is speaking into your heart, listen. Listen to him. Listen to what he's saying. Listen to how he's uh, 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 leaning into you. Don't be like your forefathers. They saw God move firsthand. This is a group of individuals that literally saw God move firsthand. We could go back to the plagues. They were in a land of Goshen. It's been, it's been, uh, discussed that, that this land of Goshen was, was preserved from experiencing any of the plagues. And the plagues were like, uh, 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 a demonstration from God, God's anger towards the Egyptian gods. Right? So they go through these, and if you remember, if you read that whole story, God says this to Moses. You need to go to Pharaoh. You need to tell him to let my people go. You remember that? You remember, if you read that passage, he says, I want you to, I want you to go to the Pharaoh and tell him that, that you need to let my people go. And God even told him, and Pharaoh's going to say no. Now, I don't know about you, but as a human, I'm, I would be thinking, okay, then why am I going? This is discouraging. And he went various times. And God said, he's going to say no. He's going to say no. He's going to say no. So eventually God leads them out and or, or they go through these plagues. And if you remember, even just the very last one, the very last one was is, is the one that they experienced in a sense. Uh, and it, was, it was it was all about the Passover. OK, and, and God told them what to do. He said, you need to take a lamb in. You need to do these certain things and you need to take the blood of this lamb and you need to put it on your doorpost, which would you can kind of see the uh, resemblance of a cross. And he said, if the blood is on your doorstep, if the blood is on your doorpost, this death angel or whatever will pass over you and will go and it will take out the firstborn sons and all all that stuff. Which in the land of Egypt, that's exactly what happened. Uh, The Egyptians were just absolutely, uh, they they, they experienced this, this horrific act of God against them. 
uh, the Hebrews, the Israelites at the time, the Hebrews uh, were spared. They saw God move in mighty ways. God takes them out of Egypt. He takes them. He parts the water. They walk through on dry ground. They do all these things while they're in the wilderness, wandering around. While they're there, they 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 are they they um, witness His protection. Right? It's, it was a desert area. Uh, during the day, He provided a cloud for them to keep them in shade. He provided fire for them at night to keep them warm. He, they encountered his provision for them throughout, through those years where their clothes didn't wear out. He, he provided all kinds of food for them. He provided everything for him. He was, or for them. He was showing them, hey, I can be a God that you can trust, right? In a sense. And yet, they hardened their hearts against him. Yet they hardened their hearts. They allowed fear to consume them. When God wanted to take them into the promised land, they said, no, we're not, we can't do that. There's people in there where we look like grasshoppers in their eyes. There's no way we can do it. Only two of the 12 individuals that went in to look at the land came out. Only two of them said, we got to go because that's what God said to do. The other 10 said, we can't do that. And because of that, the, there was this whole generation that did not get to go into the promised land because they didn't allow, they didn't believe in God. They allowed fear to take over with them. Consequently, that they just lost out on it. God said their hearts are always going astray. In our reading, it said their hearts are always going astray. They have not known my ways. Go back to Deuteronomy 1. Go back to Numbers 14 11. It's the same thing. God's saying, these people don't know my heart. These people aren't following me. These people aren't, they're not truly seeing me. They're not listening to me. I'm doing all these things. Moses cries out to God. God was ready to just wipe them out. Moses cries out, man, you gotta spare them. And really intercedes on their behalf. And God forgives them. But here's the thing. They didn't rebel against God just once. After the scouting out of the promised land, they, they rebelled against God. They put God to test ten different times. We read about that in Numbers 14.22. They continually put God to test. Even though they saw all these things. Even though they experienced God in a very, very powerful way. Their hearts were filled with unbelief. Their eyes were blind to all of His miracles that He had demonstrated. And because of that, their hearts became hard. That's what happened. Their hearts became hard. Now, in this particular passage that we read, is, this isn't about so much a punitive thing, but it's a strong warning so they don't miss out on God's blessing. You see, that's just it. Sometimes we look at it and we say, well, you know, there, the, the, I mean, there is, there is a punitive action behind it to a certain degree, but on the flip side, and even the bigger side of it is, God wants to provide so much for you and I. God wants to provide so much for you and I. God wants to take us into a place where we experience His blessings. A lot of times we become fear-driven and we say, I don't want to go there because we don't know, right? We don't know all those things. We don't know what God's up to at times. We don't know all the details. And it, it, it makes us, it makes us, it, it, I guess it puts a fear in us where we say, I just don't want to subject myself to that. But, but, but there's these blessings that God is saying, I want to take you deeper. I want you to experience something that'll just, it, it's what you're truly looking for. And I want you to truly experience this. You know, you live this way. You will be blessed. You follow me. You will be blessed. You you live this way. You will have this blessed life. You desire a healthy marriage? Do it this way. You desire healthy relationships? Let me show you how to do it. You desire to, you know, to have the secret to contentment? Let me show you. 
You have, you know, you want to be respected. I'll show you how that takes place. You want to feel like you have dignity, like you have self-worth. Let me show you how that's accomplished. You want to experience true peace with inside of yourself. I've got the answer. I will show you. You want to experience life to the fullest. That's what I want to give you. And I want to take you there. But a lot of times what happens is just like with these individuals. We don't either don't understand it or it's not clear or fear strikes in, or something happens, and we go about it our way. And I wonder how many of us sitting here this morning where we say, I want a true, healthy marriage relationship, but we really don't go back to the Word of God to discover how that happens, but we kind of consort other things. Or we say, well, I think I've got the answer. Or someone over here says, well, here, let me help you out. What does the Word of God have to say about a healthy marriage? What does the Word of God have to say about about experiencing that true contentment within our lives? About experiencing true peace? Where does that come from? Where does does, a life, when Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life to the fullest, what does that look like? The Word of God teaches us that. So really, there's a strong warning here to say, don't harden your hearts. But on the flip side of it, to look at it, it's saying this, I've got so much for you. You, I've got what you're looking for. I've got what you're desperately seeking. All you have to do is just trust and follow me. Listen to my voice. Follow God. Let our lives bring God glory. Where we say, you know, as a follower of Jesus, we say, my life is all about you. I want my life to bring you glory. You see, we, we're talking about a heart issue here. We're talking about a heart issue. Sin hardens our heart. Unbelief is essentially what causes our hearts to become our hearts to become um, a hard and off point. And speaking of points, I jumped ahead, didn't I? I want us to back up to one. I, I, I moved quickly, but when I say that our hearts become hard, the, the, what I, the, the point that I skipped was this. If Jesus is so great then, if God is offering these things, if, if, if God is offering us this blessed life and, 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 and we look at the gospel and if Jesus is so great, then complete trust and obedience must be given to him, right? Complete trust and obedience must be given to him if Jesus is so great. That's what the author's saying in the book of Hebrews. He, he, and back in chapter one, he's saying this is who Jesus is. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is sitting on the right-hand side of the Father. Jesus has conquered death. Jesus has destroyed Satan. Jesus is supreme throughout this whole book. The author says that's what he's saying. He's teaching. He's above angels. He's above Moses. Anything that you have, Jesus is above that. Jesus is above that. And because of that, he deserves complete trust and obedience. Complete trust and obedience. Where we follow him. Without asking questions. Now let's be honest. Sometimes it's easier to trust and follow when we have the answers, right? That's easy. When we see it, right? When we see it, it's like, okay, I can do that. But it's when we can't see it that it becomes hard. It becomes hard at times to discern maybe. Or we, or we become, we don't know, we don't know the unknowns. But you let us get in a really bad situation and our trust level can go up, right? 
our trust level can go up when we're in a really, really bad situation because that's when our prayer lives become truly enriched, right? We cry out to God. And so we go through a crisis and, and, and we cry out to God. And, 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 and so sometimes it's easier to have faith in a crisis than it is when everything's going okay. I remember uh, it was the first year I was in Honduras. You've heard the story. I got a kidney stone in Honduras. Of all places to have a kidney stone, I'm in Honduras with a kidney stone, okay? So, jump a little bit ahead here. There was a, we found this doctor. He comes and he wanted, and I'm just bear with me. He wanted my urine sample to check it out, right? Now just follow me. So I come out and I have this little thing of, this little cup of urine. And through the translator, Jess Goddard, through our translator, he said, in China, they drink their urine to dissolve the kidney stones. I swear to you, I was ready to shoot it down. Why? Because I was in pain. Isn't it amazing? I swear to you, if he would have said to do it, I would have done it. I, no, I'm standing here with 100% integrity. I would have drank my urine at that point if it would have dissolved that kidney stone. If he would have told me to do that, that's what I would have done. I tell him I trusted him and I'm like, I, 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 I will do this. Now, as crazy as that sounds, that's complete trust and obedience, isn't it? In another person. I was in pain. And I don't know if you've ever had a kidney stone. Some of you may be repulsed that I'm using this as an example. But if you had a kidney stone, you're not even thinking about that. You're thinking, yes, I would probably do the same thing if I was in that situation. Thank God he was telling a joke. But I was ready. I was ready. My elbow was cocked. And I was ready to shoot it down. And I didn't care. I just didn't care. Kidney stones are not fun. That was my second one. And kidney stones are not, not fun. But there was this sense of complete trust and obedience to that on his part because where I was at. You know what? When we follow Jesus because of who Jesus is, because, because of his supremacy, guys, there's no in-between. There's absolutely no in-between. There's, you know, Jesus says this about it. You know, deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and follow me. Jesus says this isn't about you. This is about denying yourself. Deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. He would go on to say this. The most intense love you experience will seem like hate for the love that you have for me. That's how deep, that's how deep and powerful the love that he, that he kind of requires or the response of love that he's asking for. And he's saying, you're going to love me. My children will love me so much that the most intense love they have here on earth will seem like hate. That's powerful. That's powerful. But he demands, in a sense, that complete trust and obedience. When I use the word demand, I'm using it in a different context because it's because who he is. He's absolutely supreme. You see, it's when we make Jesus in charge, everything looks different, right? Our lives look different when we submit and surrender to to his reign within our lives. When we make Jesus in charge, Things look different in us and around us. What does the earth like when, pe- when uh, you know, what does the earth look like when people start submitting to the reign of Christ? We start seeing the same things that he did. We start seeing possibly physical healings is happening. Deliverance from evil spirits and addictions are taking place. When we are, we allow Jesus to be in charge and reign completely in our lives. We feast with outcasts, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the thieves, right? We 
are out there because Jesus is living inside of us and moving us. We embrace our Samaritans. Our hard hearts become softened. Forgiveness is granted to those who have sinned. We experience all kinds of freedom from bondages that we struggle with here on this earth. Our sadness and despair kind of gives in to joy. All of these things testifies the inclusiveness of the kingdom of God. And this is what it looks like when Jesus is in charge, reigning in His children's hearts when we are trusting and obeying Him. Time and time again, I'll have conversations with people and it's like, the, the, the conversation kind of goes, you know, how far can I go before this is wrong? It's like, why are we looking at it that way? If my life is about submitting and surrendering to the reign of Jesus Christ and bowing before Him, then my life is all about me bringing Him glory. Doesn't that really make decisions a little bit easier? They may be hard in one aspect. It's hard sometimes to execute that decision because... It's just, it's, it goes against our humanness. But at the end of the day, isn't that what it's supposed to be? Where I step back and I say, this is no longer my life. This is, this is God's life. Jesus, this is, I've, I've submitted my life to Christ. And when we surrender and submit our lives to Christ, everything changes around us. Our families change. Our communities change. Our cities change. Our counties change. Do you imagine what it would be like if everyone in Blissfield and Linaway County would say, we're going to allow God to just absolutely 100% richly reign within our lives? Hands down. Hands down. We're going to go by the Bible. It would be amazing what would happen. If Jesus is so great, complete trust and obedience must be given to him. And as I already shared with you, when that happens, there's these blessings that follow because we're we're doing it the way it's supposed to be done. Jesus is reigning in us, he's changing us, we're blessed, we're we're experiencing a blessed life. our marriages become healthy. I, I I shared all of that with you, and we're living our lives to bring God glory. So the issue really is, if we can go back to this point, the issue is this it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. The author is saying this is, this is an issue with our hearts. Unbelief is essentially what causes our hearts to become hard. And unbelief happens when Jesus says, when, 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 when God speaks into us and we don't really listen to His voice, just like these people did. If we truly, if we don't listen to what He's saying, if we don't lean into it, if we don't truly consider what He's saying, our hearts, we run the risk of our hearts becoming hard. Look at verse 12 again. Watch out, brothers. So that there won't be in, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that departs from the living God. Departing from God, according to the author, finds its origin, its development, and its impetus in unbelief. Unbelief is characterized by mistrust and unreliability. God, I don't know where you're taking me, so, you know, I don't know about this. God, I don't know about this. I don't know if I can really step out there. And some of us, I don't even know if we go to that point where we just pray that or if our hearts become kind of callous to where we just, we just kind of, our lives are just kind of about us. We're not really denying ourselves. We're just kind of living our lives the way we think we should live them. And, and you know, if it brings God glory, that's cool. But if it doesn't, you know, we'll get through. Now, many of us would never say that. Many of us would never say that. But, but some of us could be struggling with that this morning. 
where we have a heart that, you know, can we hear the thoughts of, can we hear the voice of God? Can we hear Him any longer? And truth be known, a lot of times, we just don't trust God. That's what it comes down to. We just don't trust God. Now, how do we avoid this? We can, we live by faith with an undivided attention, and that guards our hearts from becoming hardened. Again, the entire book of Hebrews articulates the supremacy of Christ. Look at, if we went back to the first chapter, look at verses one through four. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. God has appointed Him heir of all things and made the universe through Him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of His nature, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After making purifications for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became higher in rank in the, uh, than the angels, just as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. Guys, Jesus had a mission and he fulfilled it. Jesus was on a mission from the Father and he fulfilled it. He didn't waver from that. There were times where his humanness... Pray, remember in the Garden of Gethsemane where he said, you know, Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, he was being human. But that did not take him off point. He said, if not, it's about you. Let your will be done. I submit to you. I surrender to you. I will do what you're asking me to do. Jesus was on a mission, and he accomplished his mission here on earth. However, you and I that have faith in him, that have placed our faith and trust in him and have salvation in him, we now have become part of his mission, continuing his mission. And the way that we avoid hardened hearts is we live in a state of surrenderedness to His mission. We're living as a new creation. We are kingdom workers. We continue the ministry of Jesus through the power of His Holy Spirit. We bear witness to Him as we submit to His Lordship. When people look around at us, they see us surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. They witness that. They see that. They, we bring God glory because of the surrendering to His Lordship. And by doing so, it communicates to the world that He is our Lord and our Savior. He chooses us. He chooses the church. He chooses the bride to be the instrument to further His kingdom and, and, and rule as we are here on earth. God is still reconciling lost and dying souls back to Himself. And He's choosing to use each and every person that He saves to be a part of His family to continue on this mission that Jesus started. Does that make sense? Somehow we get it all wrapped up when we talk about salvation. Salvation becomes the end point, right? We're done. I'm saved. What do I do now? We're not even asking that question. I'm saved. I'm good. And heaven forbid we ever talk about that. Is that really the end? I don't believe the Bible teaches that. I believe that the Bible, and I believe the the, the, the Bible teaches that His church, His body, His bride is about bringing Him glory. That's our job. If I could say it that way, that's our mission. And we should be passionate about that. And when we become off mission, your heart's going to become hard. You're going to become calloused because it's not about what you want Jesus to do through you. It's not about, it's no longer about Him kind of directing you. It's more about you calling some of your shots, you calling some of your, you know, you're kind of living out your decisions 
and your heart's going to become hard because you're departing from where God wants you. We are His means to continue His work to teach and bear witness to His sovereign rule. And by staying in this, this surrendered and commi- uh, uh, this committed posture to Him and His mission for our lives, it keeps our hearts in a soft spot. It enables us to hear the voice of God and follow Him obediently. Does that make sense? I'm telling you what, if you're not on mission with God, you're running the risk of having a hard heart. Your life has been saved. Your life has purpose. Your life has mission. And it's to bring Jesus glory. And He's the one that's going to define what that looks like. And He leans into you. He speaks to you. He communicates to you. The author here is saying, don't become like the people that was back in the rebellion. Don't be let out. You saw God demonstrate. Each and every one of us has had things happen within our lives where God has overwhelmed us. Don't ever let that leave. We saw God do. We've encountered Him. Hopefully we've encountered Him week after week after week after week where God is continually changing us and and bringing us more into His image. But our lives are about bringing Him glory. And by doing that, we stay on mission with Him and our hearts stay in a soft spot. I want you to look very quick as I close. Worship team, if you guys want to come back up. There is a striking parallel between verse 6 and verse 14. And if you would look in verse 6 with me, I want you to look at this parallel. It says this in verse 6, But Christ was faithful as a son over his household. And we are that household if we hold on to our confidence and the hope in which we boast. Down in verse 14, listen to what he says again. For we have become what? Participants. In Christ, if we hold firmly until the end of the reality that we had at the start. We're holding on to that reality. We're holding on to that. We're holding on to that belief. We're holding on to, 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 to Jesus. Our confidence is rooted in the continual clinging to Christ in faith. Your confidence is going to skyrocket when you cling to Christ through faith. We cling to Him through our faith. It draws us back to the daily importance of listening to the voice of God in our lives. Listen again in verse in verses 7 through 11. Therefore as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works for 40 years. You see, God expects us to listen and to follow Him with this undivided attention, with this sense of surrendering to His Lordship. And again, I want to say this. If we look at it completely from a punitive relationship, it really takes away, I think, the heart of God. Because God is about God is a God of love. And what I mean by that is this. God's wanting to take us into, into places. He's asking for our obedience. He's asking for our surrendering. He, he's asking for that because of our, for our betterness. Or betterment. He's asking, he, he's leading us for our betterment. He's saying, look, there, there's something here I want to draw you into. I want to show you something that will just blow your socks off. I want to overwhelm you. And if we're not careful, as the author says, we lose sight. We don't hear God's voice. 
we don't lean into it, and our hearts can, can become hard. And I pray that that's not us. I pray that we will grab a hold of the message of this author in Hebrews, uh, the author of Hebrews, and that we will be very, very sensitive to listening to the voice of God. I pray that you will just be overwhelmed with the, the magnificence of God. I mean, truly overwhelmed. And never forget, hang on to that. Hang on to that from the, from the perspective that, that God is, is, is leading you into a spot that's going to just, just make you into the person He's created you to be. And that is exactly what we want. And if we're not careful, that's when our hearts can become hard. And I pray that we would just keep our hearts soft and this undivided attention to Him. Will you stand as I close with a word of prayer? Father, uh, I give you thanks that, um, you know, as we read this passage, as I read this passage, I can see times where I lose sight of you, where I don't lean in and hear your voice. But instead of condemning me and casting me away, it's like you pull me closer and you hug me tighter and you say, Gail, trust me follow me listen to me I pray that would be the message for all of us here this morning that Father you would just draw us in closer if we're if we've kind of turned and, and, and we have lost kind of that ability to hear you that instead of instead of uh, running continuing to run away Father that we would Turn back into your embrace. And the forgiveness that you give just overwhelms us. So I pray, Father, that we would be children that's not identified as children with hard hearts. Children that turn our backs and kind of go our own way. Father, we would be children that are obedient to you and, and, and just want to bring you glory with our lives pray that we would just live in that state of surrenderedness, that state of contriteness, just living in the living in the lordship of you. I pray that we would not be deceived by Satan. Sin has the most cunning way of slipping in and planting seeds of doubt and deceitfulness within us. And I pray that if there are those that are struggling with that this morning, that your Holy Spirit would break through and just grab a hold of them and overwhelm them once again. I pray that you would melt every single one of our hearts in here this morning. Whether we've been following you for a hundred years or three. Father, that you would just melt our hearts again. Let us reside in your presence right here. Let us bring you glory. And I pray this in the powerful, most loving name of Jesus Christ.